The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. It's good to be with you today. I want to welcome each and every one of you in the name of Jesus today. If you're a visitor, I especially want to thank you so much for joining us and being here with us. If you are tuning in on the live stream or listening to the podcast, thank you so much. Uh, We've actually got some visitors this morning who are making the official transition to full-fledged family members. Uh, Are the Ramseys out here somewhere? Well, the Ramseys, yes, here we are. Would you stand? Yes. Very excited for you all to join us, Kyle and Blythe Turner and Ford. We're grateful that you've decided to, to plunge further into your relationship with us and this family, so we're excited to walk with you. And this uh, next Sunday, if you are a college student visiting, we have a free, keyword free, college lunch across the parking lot. So it's gonna be hosted by our ministry, Young at Heart, which is some of the folks in our older generations, and it's gonna be a free lunch, so invite your friends, invite your roommates, come on out. Uh, We would love to have you guys next Sunday, right after church, across the parking lot in the college lunch. And also tonight, Brad Giddens wanted me to remind you at six o'clock here is going to be that conversation, that gathering to to come and listen and talk about the, the tragedies that we've experienced in this nation over the last couple weeks. So Brad wanted me to remind you that's tonight at six right here if you can come and listen and pray with one another tonight. But this is our last Sunday in the Word of the Lord series. So next week, we have a pretty unique sermon series that's gonna be beginning here at the Springs called Christ and Crisis. And this is gonna be a sermon series that delves into a lot of topics about suffering and loss and trauma and pain. But it's unique not so much for its content as it is for its format. Because every Sunday, each sermon will be based on scripture, as sermons ought to be, but each sermon will also be based on the text of someone's life from our congregation. So every Sunday, Ben and I are gonna trade off interviewing and essentially facilitating a testimony from a member of our congregation who will get up and talk with us and share about the way that God has worked his redemption in and through even the worst moments in their lives. So we're gonna address topics like depression and PTSD and health crises, and I'm really, really excited for you to get to hear from stories of people in our very chairs right here, people who've been a part of this church and have blessed us with their story and letting us be a part of it. So I hope you'll, you'll be here next Sunday as we begin this really unique sermon series, Christ and Crisis, together. That finds us on our last Sunday of the Word of the Lord, and I hope and feel pretty sure we'll come back to this sermon series again sometime down the line, but this morning finds us in our final text in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, 
verses 23 through 29. Am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long? Will the hearts of the prophets ever turn back? Those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, They plan to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, just as their ancestors forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord? and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. We thank you yet again for your word. God, your word that pervades all things, that holds all things together. Your word, Jesus Christ, who was with you in the beginning the word who is God. We give thanks to you, Lord, and ask this morning for the gift of preaching. Ask that your Holy Spirit would speak and that you would illuminate our hearts and our ears and our minds. We give praise to you, God, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I had a good lunch with Wes McKenzie this last week, and at some point in the lunch, Wes asked me if I like the TV show The Office, which to me was pretty strong evidence that I have not used enough illustrations from my favorite TV show, The Office. And there's an episode of The Office, if you haven't seen it, there's a character named Dwight who decides he wants to teach his coworkers about fire safety <laughs> by lighting a fire in the office. And obviously things go very poorly. And so Dwight and his manager, Michael, are called up to the big corporate offices in New York to have to answer for this. And so they're sitting in this room, and the big wigs of corporate are on one side of the table, the CFO, the head of HR, and Dwight and Michael are on the other side. And they begin to question Dwight and Michael about this. And slowly throughout the scene, Michael kind of gingerly moseys on over to the other side of the table because he doesn't want to be on the side of the table that's being questioned, right? He wants to be on the side that's doing the questioning, right? He wants to be on the side of the table where there's authority. And it reminds me a little bit of our own relationship at times with the Word of God, right? Because we should bring our questions to the Word of God. We should question the text. That's part of my job. But I think sometimes we forget what side of the table we're sitting on. I think sometimes we forget 
that the word of God is on the side of the table with the authority, and we don't question the word of God so much as the word of God questions us. Right? The word of God brings its questions to us, and as one theologian has said, the good news of Christ places a question mark next to all human endeavors, not the reverse. And this is important for our text today, Jeremiah 23, because there's a lot of questions in our text. There's a lot of questions, some of the essential questions of life, like who is God? What is he like? What is he doing in the world? What does he expect of me? And I think it's important for us to remember which side of the table we sit on. That the word of God brings these questions to us. That, that we come into the room and even though some of us want to kind of mosey around on to the other side of the table at times, it is the word of God that speaks to us truly and calls us to listen and obey. And so that's the posture of humility that I want to take as we proceed to our first line of questioning in Jeremiah 23. He says, am I a God nearby, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? Am I a God nearby? It was known everywhere in Jerusalem that Yahweh was a God nearby. Right? Deuteronomy 4, 7, for what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him. God's people knew that he was on some level a God nearby, right? Temple theology depends on this, the idea that God's very presence, God himself dwells in the temple in Jerusalem. Is God nearby? Absolutely, he's right down the street, right? He's in the temple. But in Jeremiah 23, the answer is not so simple. God is not simply nearby. God is also the God who is far off. God stands over and apart and above Israel and humankind and the word. Yes, he is a God nearby, but he's not a God that can be pinned down. He is a God nearby, but these false prophets that Jeremiah is gonna critique later on in our text, these false prophets have been trying to kind of reach for God like a finite object who could write them a blank check for whatever they say. And God says, am I a God nearby and not also a God far off who fills heaven and earth and from whom no one can hide? So theologians have a, a couple $10 words they like to use when they talk about this, maybe 15. Um, and those words are imminence and transcendence. All right, so when we talk about God being nearby, we talk about God being imminent. And, and the Latin of that word is talking about remaining within, right? So when God is that God is imminent means that he pervades and sustains all things. He pervades and sustains all things. He is a God nearby. He is close, he is present, omnipresent. And yet he is also a God far off, right? He is also the transcendent God. 
The God who is over and above and apart, right? The God who, in fact, is so over and above and apart that he really can't even be contrasted with humankind because he is completely different. He is the God who is, to use a couple more $10 words, infinitely, qualitatively different from us, right? He is the God both imminent, nearby, and the God transcendent far off. And so when we speak of this God who is both imminent and transcendent, I think we proclaim God shuddering but not stuttering. Right? We proclaim God shuddering but not stuttering. We need not stutter when we announce the good news of God in Christ. Right? We can speak clearly about God and Christ. We can speak without stuttering. But when we speak of the God who is, is transcendent above all things and therefore imminent to all things, the God who is, is above and apart and beyond, we shudder in humility at his greatness. Right? We shudder in awe at his goodness. We shudder in wonder at his love and power and truth. And so when we speak about this God, we speak in humility, shuddering but not stuttering. And it's this humility that I think backgrounds the rest of our text as we proceed to the next round of questioning in Jeremiah 23. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long? Will the hearts of the prophets ever turn back, those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? They plan to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, just as their ancestors forgot my name for Baal. Forgetting someone's name is always an uncomfortable experience. But it's something that we all do. It's something that we've all had done to us, right? We all forget names and we've all had our names forgotten. Uh, in fact, years ago I was working at a, a conference with a pretty prominent Church of Christ preacher. Most of you would know his name. And he called me Brent the whole weekend and I get called Brent a lot, that's fine. I get called Brent probably more than Brett. And I was laughing about this with some friends and I assume word must have kind of gotten back to him uh, because on the last day of the conference, we were having a conversation at some point he said something along the lines of, hey, yeah, thank you so much, Brett. <laughs> with the greatest enunciation my name has ever been said with. <laughs> because, you know, it's forgetting someone's name is, is viewed as kind of insulting or kind of a loss of honor or importance. Uh, but it's even more important in the Old Testament, right? Names are really, really important in Scripture and especially in the Old Testament because a name in the Old Testament is not just arbitrary, right? A name in the Old Testament is very central to someone's character and who they are. It's very central to their identity. Uh, 
And so to forget someone's name, to forget the name of God, is to forget who God is. Right? It's to forget what he's like. It's to forget his identity, to forget his character. And that's what these false prophets have done, right? There are these false prophets in Judah, and Jeremiah is a prophet, but these false prophets seem to be a bit more popular than Jeremiah. And there's some evidence that suggests they are popular for the reason that a lot of communicators and speakers are popular because they say what people want to hear. Right? These false prophets have been, in a sense, kind of flattering the ears of their listeners in Judah. And so in Jeremiah 8, 11, it says that they have treated the wounds of my people carelessly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Earlier in our chapter, they keep saying to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to all who stubbornly follow their own stubborn hearts, they say, no calamity shall come upon you. And then finally in our text, how long will the hearts of these prophets ever turn back those who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? So these prophets, sometimes called peace prophets, have been essentially peddling false hope, right, to, the, to God's people, that, that God is actually about to bring judgment, and these prophets have essentially just been saying, all is well. Right? It doesn't matter that you're following your stubborn hearts. It, no calamity shall become upon you, right? It doesn't matter that you're despising the word of the Lord. And these prophets keep saying, no, no, all is well. And what's happened, it's, it sounds like in our chapter, is that the deception of their hearts ha- has intervened and, and falsely interpreted, right? It says the, the deceit of their own heart is what they're prophesying. You know, and we, we all do this, right? We, we bend the truth towards our own heart's desires rather than let the truth bend the desires of our heart towards it. You know, especially those of you who grew up with siblings or, or even if you grew up around somebody with siblings, you know what this is like, right? It's, Two kids will get in a fight, and one of them storms off to a parent, and inevitably they come back and they say something like, well, dad says you're in huge trouble and you have to give it to me right now. Which is obviously not the message that dad conveyed. But the deception of our hearts intervenes in between, right? Between the original message from dad and the message delivered to the sibling, the deception of our hearts has intervened and interpreted and heard what we wanted to hear, right? Rather than what we needed to hear. And I think we do this when we speak. We speak what we think people want us to say rather than what they need us to say or even in our beliefs, right? We believe what we want to believe rather than what we need to believe, what's true. And I think this can seep into our beliefs about God even, right? 
I uh, had a very, very close friend uh, tell me recently about his kind of struggles with belief, with kind of vacillating, you know, towards agnosticism at times and struggling with doubt, as many of us have and maybe continue to have. And I, so I kind of pressed him further. I was like, well, what are you, what's kind of holding you back from belief right now? And it essentially boiled down to kind of a, a pet issue of his, basically like, well, I just, I can't believe in a God who would X, or I can't believe in a God who wouldn't Y or Z. And I think, in a sense, that scripture shows us part of that is a faithful response to God, right? Like the Psalms and Job, we often see them saying, look, God, live up to who you say you are. I think that's a faithful response. God, live up to who you are. But I think there's a world of difference between God, live up to who you say you are and God, live up to who I say you are. You see the difference? God, live up to who you say you are, but God, live up to who I say you are. Right? I'm sitting on the side of the table with the authority, asking the questions. And I think what Jeremiah wants to tell us is that God's word is here to interrogate us as well. Right, that, that these prophets, God says, I've heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, my character. And as, as one preacher has said, uh, he says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. If your God never never rubs up against or chafes against your priors, your presuppositions. It might just be you writ large. You might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. But God wants us to proclaim his word faithfully, the word of the incomparable, incomprehensible, immeasurable God. And he says in verse 28, let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let the one who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? The book of Jeremiah, like the book of Deuteronomy, like Psalms, Hosea, Colossians, Hebrews, like all of scripture is the word of the Lord. And it's not the word of just any Lord, it's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who comes to save us from our false prophesying. He is the one who comes and reminds us what side of the table we're sitting on. The one who reveals God as he truly is. The one who enables us to worship him, the Lord of heaven and earth. That is the message that we try to convey when we speak shuddering but not stuttering faithfully the word of God. That is the message we've been entrusted with 
the message of Jesus, this word like fire who burns away the dross and deceit of our hearts, who burns away the, the delusions of our dreams. He is the word who is the hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, that breaks our, our false foundations and the hardness of our hearts. Jesus is this word like fire. He is Malachi's refining fire who purifies us as an offering to the Lord. He is Hebrews' word, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and separating soul from spirit, joint from marrow. Jesus Christ is that word like fire. He is, he is the Pentecostal tongues on the apostles' heads, igniting the kingdom of God. He is the word that enters into the fire on our behalf, right? Entering into Nebuchadnezzar's fire, standing the fourth man with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is the word that has come to bring a fire to the earth, a fire of his glory and judgment and justice and mercy and love. Jesus is that word like fire. And he has come to, to burn away the stale straw of our sin. He has come to, to break our false foundations and to light his kingdom on fire with his love. Church, may he light this people on fire with his love as we stand and praise the word like fire, Jesus Christ.